In this episode of Trek in Time, we're going to be talking about being lost in our own personal lives. That's right, we're talking about Enterprise Season 4, Episode 3, Home. Welcome to Trek in Time, everybody. You should know by now that what we're doing here is we're watching every episode of Star Trek. We're watching it in chronological order. We're also talking about the t what was going on in the world at the time of original broadcast. So at this point, we are talking about the fourth season of Enterprise. We're talking about 2004. And who are we? Well, I'm Sean Farrell. I'm a writer. I've written some sci-fi. I write some stuff for kids. With me is my brother, Matt. Matt is the guru and inquisitor behind the YouTube channel Undecided with Matt Farrell, which takes a look at emerging tech and its impact on our lives. Matt, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. I'm actually on video, so I'm doing fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> Sean, that's so much. <laughs> our regular viewers on YouTube will see that my face is not moving. This is not me practicing my ventriloquism, although my ventriloquism is the bomb. What this is, is Matt and I dealing with a technical difficulty, which rhymes very much like uh, with the word Vectrum. My internet service provider has failed spectacularly over the past three or four days. So normally Matt and I record this on Sunday, Sunday mornings. We have a leisurely conversation around lunchtime on Sundays. We do this. We do our other podcast, which is tied into his channel, which is still to be determined. And uh, this weekend, nope, didn't work so much. This weekend, it kind of all fell apart, and I kept delaying because Spectrum kept saying, Internet, what's that? So <laughs> we finally gave up, and now we are doing this through my phone into Zoom. Matt's still in his studio, so he's still able to record his, himself. And the byproduct of all of this is both a recognition that the technology is remarkable, that we're able to record this kind of thing via a phone, the downside, of course, is recognizing that sometimes technology fails in spectacular ways and is <laughs> yes. extremely frustrating. Yep. <laughs> Before we get into this newest episode, Matt, did you want to share some comments from our previous episodes? Yeah, there was one, there was a lot of great comments over the past couple episodes. So I tried to cherry pick a couple of the ones that had me one laughing or were thought provoking. The first one was from Pilgo69 from episode 76, Stormfront. I was listening to another podcast and had to come back here to say, there's a good Kanye Nazi alien joke here somewhere, but I don't have the time to dig for it. Give me yours. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sadly, we live in an era where somebody who is dealing with extreme mental health difficulties yep. is manifesting it as the most atrocious sort of public commentary. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's really, it's heartbreaking on a personal level and on a grand scale, it's absolutely both terrifying and strangely befuddlingly amusing. So yeah, I'll leave others to make the Nazi Kanye joke, but. Uh... <laughs> okay. So the, there's two more comments. One was from Gideon Miles and I got to compliment Gideon. He had two comments on the same episode that were very thoughtful and very long. And there was one section I just wanted to kind of call out because if you want to read the rest of his comment, it's it's fantastic. It's very thought provoking. He said, I would say Star Trek is shown to have different kinds of time travel because you and I had discussed about like they weren't consistent about their time travel. Yes. Um, the warp around the sun approach, for example, mocks everyone out and the time ship relativity's temporal transporters eventually have a degrading effect on the user. But the time gate from the original series seemed to not have any disorienting effects, as was the method used by to send Archer and T'Pol back to Earth to stop the Zindi bioweapon. 
they kind of give the feeling that not all forms of time travel are the same and that the time travel used in Enterprise by Daniels is one that does not have any effects to say uh, forcibly slingshotting yourself around the star at warp speeds. But still, yeah, the temporal Cold War getting hot did bother me. He said the mechanics of the temporal Cold War, well, it primarily seemed to be about giving technology to oneself. Wibbly wobbly, timey wimey ball of stuff explanation that the effects of time travel are like ripples in the water in the pond, more akin to back to the future, slowly erasing the picture thing. But even if this was the way they were doing the time travel, wouldn't Enterprise have been affected first? And I was yes. like, I got that. I was like, yeah, they probably would have. <laughs> yeah. None of, none of the time travel stuff, the way they did, makes logical sense. It, it just doesn't hold up. But like I said, read the rest of his comment because he goes on and then he has further comments after watching the second video. It's 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 a really interesting thread. The other one I wanted to bring up was from Eboss on the same episode. Manny Koto cleaned up the chaos that the temporal Cold War concept was. Granted, the temporal Cold War did a limp noodle maneuver here for all the buildup that we got, although very sparsely depicted across the series. This is the resolution we get. Glad Enterprise didn't go down another rabbit hole of time story stuff. The portrayal the actor gave to this villain Vosk was excellent. Much like Khan, this man uses his calm and silent way to be menacing. Biggest impact to the combination of exploration, the science stuff, and the strength in numbers, the human stuff, by building bridges. Extremely funny review, guys. Laughing all the way to the end. You have a good one. So thank you, Eboss, for the comment. And yeah, the, thank uh, you. It's great. Yeah, those were some tricky episodes to get through, yeah. both watching and conversationally, because we had talked throughout the first couple of years of this show mm -hmm. about season three is it. Three, season three is where it really found its footing. And sadly, the show didn't have an opportunity to continue past the fourth season. But the season three ending... And the lead into the fourth season really kind of demonstrate why it didn't get that shot. It it those episodes in particular kind of stood out as wow, you just spent a season really figuring out how to do what you wanted to do, and then you just kind of put it all to the side. So here we are at episode three of the fourth season, and we're gonna see do they make it back to a better track? Matt, that sound in the background isn't my spectrum internet coming back. It's actually the read alert. <laughs> Do you want to read the Wikipedia description for this episode? Sure. Set in the 22nd century, the series follows the adventures of the first Starfleet Starship Enterprise, registration NX-01. This episode brought to a close the Zindi story arc that ran throughout season three with the crew returning to Earth after the successful mission. It features three stories, Captain Jonathan Archer, Scott Bakula, coming to terms with the psychological impact of the previous mission. Dr. Phlox, John Billingsley, finds that the people of Earth have become hostile to aliens, while Commander Charles Tripp Tucker, Connor Trenier, is that Connor Trenier? I always feel like I'm yeah. saying that wrong whenever I say that. It's spelled very interestingly. So yeah, it yeah. it's always catches catches you off guard. Yeah. And so Commander T'Pol, Jolene Blaylock, traveled to Vulcan for her arranged marriage. This is one of those rare cases where the Wikipedia description actually hits all the notes and does mm -hmm. it rather well. So so hat tip to the editor on Wikipedia who caught that one yeah. as opposed to our previous ones, which <laughs> either ramble or simply say this is a TV show on Earth. Yeah. So as we mentioned, this is season four, episode three, directed by Helen Croker. We've seen him many times before, written by Michael Sussman, again, a veteran of the show. 
The original air date was October 22nd, 2004. Guest appearances include Joanna Cassidy as Toleste, Paul's mother. And I'm just going to throw this out here right now. She does a terrific job with this character. Really like her performance. Michael Riley Burke as Koss. Ada Maris as Captain Erica Hernandez. Gary Graham as Ambassador Saval. Vaughn Armstrong, Admiral Forrest. Both of them regulars on the show. Jim Fitzpatrick as Commander Williams and Jack Donner as the Vulcan Priest. And on October 22nd, 2004, Matt, what were you singing along to? I know you want it to be. <laughs> I know you want it to be Avril Lavigne. Good news for you. It was Avril Lavigne. It was my happy ending. And at the box office, Shark Tale continued to be number one. It's its third week at number one. It made another $22 million. And this is the animated shark film with Will Smith and Robert De Niro. And I have zero recollection of this movie even existing. So to all the fans of this movie, my apologies. <laughs> and what was the competition for Enterprise? Well, it was up against ABC's Eight Simple Rules and Complete Savages. I remember one of these. Matt, can you guess which one I remember? Eight Simple Rules? Yes, I remember Eight Simple Rules. I do not have a, even a shadow of a guess as to what Complete Savage is about, unless it was just a little documentary series about proto-humans. <laughs> CBS was airing Joan of Arcadia. That was getting 7 million viewers. NBC's Dateline got 8 million. And UPN had Star Trek Enterprise getting 3.2 million. And on the WB, What I Like About You got 2.4 million. And Grounded for Life got 2.6. And I saved the best for last. A show that got more viewers than Enterprise on Fox, totally outrageous behavior. Driver's wrong turn lands him in a beehive. Got 3.8 million viewers, followed by the world's craziest videos. That's right, people. We used to show videos on television. Yeah. TikTok videos on TV. That's basically TikTok what it was. TikTok videos on television <laughs> is basically what it was. So in the news... Typically, I go back and I look at headlines. I, I pick from the New York Times or other major news sources as for headlines that were in the either on the day or around the time of the broadcast. But in this case, I felt like I would zero in instead of a headline on a, just a large scale topic that was clearly a focal point for this episode. And so what I wanted to do is share some comments. This is pulling from Wikipedia about Islamophobia. It is not hard to see in this episode that Islamophobia was one of the points of the episode with the way Dr. Phlox is immediately targeted when he returns to Earth, having said to people on the ship, oh, I'm not worried about returning to Earth because I spent many years there and found myself very welcome. So he's not hesitant to return. And when he does return, he finds things have definitely changed. So this is what was going on in 2004. Islamophobia was on the rise. Islamophobia in the United States can be described as the effective feelings of distrust and hostility some Americans have toward Muslims, Islam, and those persons who adhere to the religion and or those persons who appear to adhere to it, as well as members of groups which are associated with it. In the United States today, there are numerous attempts to mislead Islamic teachings, degrade and slander Islamic groups, and undermine and discredit the faith itself. American Muslims are often racialized and face discrimination due to stereotypes and generalizations, and generalizations ascribed to them. Due to this, 
Islamophobia is both a product of and a contributor to the United States racial ideology, which is founded on socially constructed categories of profiled features or how people seem. Advocacy groups like the Center for American Progress explain that this social phenomenon is not new. Rather, it has increased its presence in American social and political discourse over the last 10 to 15 years. They cite the fact that several organizations donate large amounts of money to create the Islamophobia megaphone. Center for American Progress defines the megaphone analogy as, quote, a tight network of anti-Muslim, anti-Islam foundations, misinformation experts, validators, grassroots organizations, religious rights groups, and their allies in the media and in politics, who work together to misrepresent Islam and Muslims in the United States. As a result of this network, Islam is now one of the most stigmatized religions, with only 42% of Americans having a favorable opinion of Islam, according to a 2021 Associated Press Center for Public Affairs research poll. Similarly, Muslims are one of the most negatively viewed religious groups in the United States, with atheists being the only other group to be seen as a comparable negative light. This biased perception of Islam and Muslims manifests itself in the discrimination of racially perceived Muslims in the law and media and is conceptually reinforced by the Islamophobia network. This is, I remember in the days after 9-11, people in New York City being attacked because they wore the turbans of the, the Shiite, the blaming of a community based entirely on skin color or garb um, led to attacks of people who weren't even Islamic. And in some cases, people were seriously injured or even killed as a result of people feeling like, well, if I just beat up this old man, that will make, you know, that'll be proper uh, compensation for taking down the Twin Towers. It's a remarkable um an idiotic stance to take, and it's been on the rise since 9-11. And this episode, which is in 2004, is rooted squarely at a time when it was beginning to have not just a, a foothold, but a very strong foundation. The anti-Islamic rhetoric was very strong at this point. I would point out that at the time, President Bush made a point of saying we are not at war with islam we are at war with extremism mm -hmm. so while bush tried to plant a draw a line to say this is not about islam this is this is about extremists this is about people who are taking whatever faith whatever belief system they have and trying to hurt people uh more moderate voices in that vein have been lost to a certain degree in certain political circles, and we've seen an increase in religion taking fully the blame and in fact being censored and being viewed around the world as the first way of identifying the villain. And so this episode puts that on full display. It was interesting to see that that storyline, these three plot lines, this is a case where we have three plot lines that don't really reflect on one another, but they are all of a, of a cohesive whole nonetheless, because as I was watching it, it occurred to me that what this was, was a demonstration of deeply personal moments in an individual character's lives, 
having the time to to shine as opposed to most of our episodes which have focused instead on outside plot factors driving reaction from yep. cast members. So in this case, we have the opportunity to dive a little deeper into the inner lives of the characters. And the one that spoke the loudest to me was Dr. Phlox's. His disappointment, his fear, and his change of behavior as a result of being attacked in a bar is by far, I think, the simplest of the plot lines. It is the most, like, from point A to point B, it doesn't have to travel very far. He literally just leaves the ship, gets attacked, and then goes back to the ship. Yep. But it has, in in my viewing, was some of the biggest impact of the show. What did you think about that one? Um, I liked it. I liked it better than the captain's journey, and I liked it better. I didn't, but I didn't like it better than to Paul and Trip's journey. For mm-hmm. me, it was the to Paul and Trip journey that struck me the most. Um. This one was the second. And part of the reason for that was this may have been just my, my viewing, looking at it with a modern lens. It felt ham fisted and it felt really on the nose and just a little too, I don't know, overly dramatic. And this is kind of a broader comment about the episode as a whole. I felt like, I don't know if you are picking up on this. This season, we've talked about this before, it clearly had its budget cut. Um, and this episode, felt the most soap opera and low budget that I've ever seen on the show. Um, and it was to me distracting at times because it felt like a three camera sitcom shoot <laughs> at moments during the episode. And that scene in the bar, I don't know, it felt like I don't know, community theater at times. And so for me, I was getting really distracted by that. So I may have muted my um, the impact of the message that was being said. Yeah, I agree. I agree with a lot of that. I think that this episode has a certain um, after school special feel Mm -hmm. to it. And it's disappointing, especially for me. I was less disappointed in the flock storyline. I agree with you. It's pretty ham fisted. It's pretty on the nose. But I also think it's appropriate for the time that the show was produced. in. I think it's demonstrating a real kind of huge stop sign moment to the viewer to say, hey, if you're doing this kind of thing, knock it off. Like it, it literally is, it literally has the feel of somebody stepping out and looking directly into the camera and saying, are you attacking people because they're Islamic? Stop it. Well, it was, it, it was part of the reason, one of the things, nuances I liked was the guy that was being belligerent was basically calling him a Vulcan. And he's like, yeah, I'm not a Vulcan. And it was like, he just kept yeah. doing it. And it was like, it was making it very clear just how belligerent yeah. and stupid this kind of racism is and yeah. so for that i liked i liked how they handled it but again yeah. given how the show looked last season and felt really good production quality and felt really good this one felt like they they were trying to scrape the coins out from the sofa cushions to get enough money to make an episode it just it, yeah. it was really distracting. And it's disappointing it's disappointing because we have the episodes that we just talked about with the space nazis and how disappointing we were in in those and i from the notes i was able to put together on this one it seems like the actors especially bacula were interested in delving deeper into the repercussions of the zindi storyline on the characters and especially with archer it's on display in this one where he he brings it up in conversation with his cohort the the 
other captain who's going to be the cla- the captain of the the next NX ship. She's going to be the captain of the NX-02, the Columbia. It's Erica Hernandez is the character's name. And he reveals to her again and again and again, there are things out there that we weren't prepared for. You need to be ready to, to be pushed morally and ethically. And he brings up effectively, he's, he's turning to her again and again and saying, I have PTSD. And that is a extremely realistic and compelling storyline to pursue, especially given the realities of what was going on with the U.S. military at this point, the war in Afghanistan, the war in Iraq. We had soldiers coming home with PTSD. Uh, that would go on and continues to go on to this this you know to this day. The reality of those those wars, the veterans that came out of it, the impact on the individuals, the families is a real thing. And this was an opportunity for the show to wrestle with something in a in a deep and meaningful way. It reminds me very obviously of the post Borg Locutus storyline from mm-hmm. Best of Both Worlds, followed up by the Star Trek Next Generation episode where Picard goes home and finds He's actually thinking about leaving Starfleet and he's, and he returns to the one person instinctively that he knows will give him the full unvarnished truth, which is his older brother. He trusts that his older brother will tell him, do you still have what it takes or not? And so he goes to the one person who will not pull punches and they literally fist fight about it. And he finds forgiveness in his brother in a what is one of the most beautifully portrayed scenes? <laughs> that scene in is so powerful. Star Trek. It is so, so incredible, and this episode seems to be trying to reach for the same thing, and it doesn't get there. It can't yeah. get. The, it can't get the same reach, and I think it's because one, I feel like this episode is distracting itself by trying to do all of this in one episode instead of it stretching out over more than one. It's dealing with a number of characters and a number of different ideas. The idea of T'Pol's arranged marriage doesn't seem to fit with the post-traumatic stress disorder idea, both like Archer's storyline and Phlox's storyline seem to be kind of of a theme with one another, whereas T'Pol's doesn't. And I felt like T'Pol's storyline could have been its own episode well, it, it, can, can I just say, I, I was yeah. going to bring up the same exact thing. It was trying to replicate what that episode of Next Generation did, but didn't even come close to the quality yeah. and the execution. Because that episode, it actually makes me weepy. Like there's parts yeah. of that that hit me right in the heartstrings. And it's well, so well. I don't know if well... you could hear it in my voice as I was talking yeah. about it just now. I started to choke like, up. And he's with that his episode bro- always gets to me. He says to his brother, he's like, you always bully me. And he said, "I maybe you came here to be bullied. And it was yeah. like this wonderful fight between the two of them and just the, a very cathartic emotional moment. And because this episode spent time across three stories, nobody ended up, it was like they tried to do too much and nobody got the focus and nobody was able to have that cathartic moment. And the moments that were supposed to be cathartic fell way flat for me because yes. I wasn't I wasn't emotionally tied to anything that was happening and if they had just focused on one whether it was to Paul whether it was Archer wh- whoever it was if they just focused on one it would have been a stronger episode 
I will say the episode, I do think the T'Pol storyline is of the same vein because she is shaken from what's happened and she's been through horrible stuff with her, how she's struggling with her emotions. She's going home to try to recenter herself, going back to her mother to try to help find herself again. So they were, they were trying to do the same post PTSD storyline with her, but it, it got distracted because they didn't have enough time to really flesh that out. And then there was the whole trip thing. And it was like, they kind of like it muddied the waters. So it was there, but it was so thin by the time it got watered down so much that just kind of really fell flat. So it's for me, it's all about, they should have cut out two of these storylines and just focused on one. And they could have gotten the same emotional impact that that Picard episode did. Yeah, I agree completely with that. I, I, the reason I think that the Paul storyline deserved its own episode, even though it is, like you point out, it is of the theme of PTSD. Mm-hmm. It's more of a, like, you think about like the Zindi attack and what they had to do to stop the attack. And Flock's storyline is about how the cultures respond to that. Mm-hmm. And Archer's storyline is about how he is responding to that. And to Paul's is kind of a moving forward into the next stage. I could have seen home being about Archer and flocks. And then the next episode being about to Paul's marriage. And yeah. one of the other reasons I say that is because the episode ends so incredibly abruptly. Yeah. Were you caught yeah. off guard by suddenly it goes to the credits as the ceremony is starting? I was no. like, like what happened? I, I literally thought like, is this a two parter? Is this. Like what happened here? Is that the end? It really caught me huh. off guard. It, it, it felt it didn't for it me. It felt in it felt unconcluded. That's weird because it totally did not for me because it was concluded when the conclusion was he was letting her get married and was not going to stand in the way of that because it would just complicate things. And so it's like that just that conversation he had with her mother about she was basically saying to him, "Tell her how you feel," and he said. I'm not going to do that because it's just, this would not be appropriate. And it was that, that to me was the conclusion. And so then you're just seeing that little denouement was just the, the beginning of the the ceremony. So it's kind of like, it's playing out. It was kind of tragic. And so it's like, for me, that was the, that was the storyline for me that actually came the closest to kind of tugging on a little heartstring because it was like, oh, right. poor, poor trip into Paul. It was like, it's just, this is tragic that they're just kind of like ships passing the night. It's not going to work out. So it's yeah. like, for me, that was the one storyline that actually came the closest. Let me clarify my comment. That's what I mean is that that storyline felt like, okay, there's that conclusion. I didn't feel like the other two had conclusions. Oh, no, no. The, the, the one with the captain and on the rocks, he, his whole, his cathartic moment was the, the re, him coming out and saying, I've lost the thread of why I joined Starfleet and, and saying, I need, I, I'm having trouble finding my way back and her saying, that's okay. And basically holding out her hand, that was the cathartic moment. That was supposed to be that wrestling scene in the, the, yeah. the vineyard. <laughs> it's like, but it didn't because it's, it once didn't again, yeah. it didn't, it didn't, it didn't earn it. So it didn't work, but that was it. So I felt a conclusion there, even though it wasn't a great conclusion. It did, it did feel like it was closed up. And the Dr. Flock storyline was the one that didn't because it was like basically him going, yeah, I'm just going to hide in the sick bay. <laughs> it was yeah. like, womp, womp. Uh, that, that, that storyline had nothing to it. Yeah. That was I expected, the most I expected at least two more scenes. Yeah. I expected one scene about Archer, maybe like them going down the mountain. Like I expected <laughs> him to have, I expected right, right. him to say like having her conclude 
the scene with that's okay, that's her reaching a conclusion. That's not Archer reaching a conclusion. And that's yep. the difficulty there. You needed to have a moment where he could say, like something could have happened to them on the climb. And then he could say, I think I see a way forward. Like, some, I mean, literally like create that metaphor moment to show him finding a path. And then that would have felt satisfying. Well, and with Flocks, the hiding in the sick bay, um, they've used a device with Flocks many, many times before. I think we've always appreciated it. He's constantly writing letters to that yes. colleague of his. That would have been a great time for like one scene of him starting a log journal for that friend and saying, <laughs> I'm having a lot of difficulty knowing how to say this to you, but I'm feeling conflicted about returning to Earth. Like have it like and it could have just been a dot, 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 fade to black. It right. didn't have to be a lot, but it could have been something showing that he is processing this thing instead of what, as you mentioned, him saying like, I think I'll just hide in sick bay. Um, well, this this whole this whole episode to me felt like I'm guessing Manny Koto and the team, they kind of like specked out what the entire season was going to look like. And yeah. it felt to me like they were like, we have one episode to get some resolutions here for the emotional arcs of these characters from the past season. And so they yeah. felt like they had to cram it all into one. Which is why we didn't get two episodes or three episodes which is, around that. Which is laid firmly for mm -hmm. me at the feet of Berman and Braga on yeah. their way out the door, putting space Nazis in the closing scene yep. of the third season. They had to spend two episodes dealing with that, <laughs> dealing with that nightmare. And instead <laughs> of dealing with that, if they had had these two episodes where you could have like really put a lot of time and effort into the PTSD aspect. And if you felt like you needed to put a firm closing of the door on the temporal cold war, that could have been episode number three. Mm -hmm. You could have had a much more consolidated episode around, you know, the, the time, the time war. And it just felt like, boy, this is just, they had to spend time and effort putting out the wrong fire instead of being able to put that effort into a place that was going to bear better fruit. Well, one other thing I want to bring up about this episode, we got to see all the major bridge, bridge crew. So we got to see all the characters at some point in the episode. We saw, you know, Mayweather at one point, we saw Reed a bunch of times. Reed was in the opening of the show. So as we got yeah. to see a little bit of everybody, 35 minutes in, 35 minutes, Hoshi shows up, 35 yeah. minutes. And when I, when she came on screen, I had this initial reaction of like, oh yeah, oh, she's part of the bridge crew. It was like, why yeah. did they wait 35 minutes to even bring her on screen for anything? It was, it was shocking to me. And at that point, not only is it shocking, it sends the message that, yeah, it sends the message that for some reason she wasn't going back to earth. Yeah. It sends, it's like, she's in sick bay. She's, and she's only there because she had that parasite put into her by the Zindi mm -hmm. in an attempt to, you know, extort control over her. And I'm like, so the one and only place for her to undergo that level of treatment was with Flocks on the Enterprise. Is she not going back to Earth for that reason? And she was the one character that would have conceivably had the most drive to get back to Earth because she was the most reluctant member of the crew in the first place. Yep. So it's, it just seemed, yeah, that was distracting. Ultimately, I think that the performances in this one are 
typically typically fine. And I want to bring up again Joanna Cassidy. She is terrific in this. I think as as to Paul's mother, bringing a very slow and steady simmer mm-hmm. to a character that is supposed to be repressed. You can sense her unease in very subtle ways. I really enjoyed her performance in this one. It was very Paul like. Yes, there was this, there was. I don't know if it was intentional or not, but Paul always has this edge of like there always seems like there's a little bit of emotion bubbling under the surface more than a typical Vulcan. And so it's like her mother was acting the same way. And so it kind of gives They even this, had a nice line about that. Yeah. They even had a nice line of like, you've always had, you've always struggled with controlling your emotions. And I thought perhaps you had finally done it. Yeah. And, and it was a nice little motherly dig. Mm-hmm. To kind of like, yeah, like, oh, you look good, even though you've put on a few pounds. <laughs> exactly. um, that kind of, that kind of dig uh, seemed very familial and it was that storyline came the closest i think to the kind of homecoming episode from next generation where you had not only did you have card going home but you had wesley crusher dealing with the last reminiscences of his father and his and worse dealing with his human parents Mm -hmm. that episode does so many things so well and really makes you feel like the the characters are revealing aspects of themselves to the viewer that they do not reveal to one another um, and do not reveal in the midst of battle. So it's, you know, yep. these are the these are the quiet moments that Star Trek really revels in. This episode did not reach those same levels. I do feel like it came closest with the T'Pol storyline. Yeah, I think I think our assessment is what you brought up in the beginning, which was the thematic point of the episode was the strongest one was the doctor's storyline. But yeah. for me, the emotional core came closest with the DePaul storyline. And it really kind of spoke volumes to me that it was strongest in that one. And that was the one where you had the most time with two characters from the show. Yep. Around one another. Yeah. When you have the opportunity for the shorthands to to take center stage. One of the nicest things in the homecoming episode from Next Generation is Worf's storyline includes Guinan in an yeah. unexpected in an unexpected way. That Guinan is able to kind of guide both the parents towards seeing like why is Worf building a wall? And she's able to kind of put a crack in that wall to let those parents get back inside. Mm-hmm. And with Wesley's storyline, it's between Wesley and his mother his mother playing a huge part in I've got this thing that I did not recall. I don't even know what this says. And it's the, it's an opportunity for two people who've been grieving the same person, but are grieving him for very different purposes and different reasons. Yep. It, and the T'Pol storyline in this one, I think does a remarkable job with trip and showing this is a huge step forward in their relationship from the outside. It looks like the complete opposite. It looks like an ending to their relationship, but this is a huge maturation in their relationship because both of them at this moment are fully acknowledging, like, this isn't just us being curious about one another. This isn't just like a brief romantic entanglement without saying it. Both of those characters are looking at each other in the final scene when she is moving forward to be married and she stops to kiss him on the cheek. Mm -hmm. It is a moment where both of them are saying, I love you. And it, 
is it's that scene speaks volumes without saying a word and it's because you have two characters that we the audience are familiar with i think that's one of the things that weakened the archer storyline is that they relied too heavily on an outside character who we are suddenly introduced to and suddenly find out oh there was a romantic relationship here oh there was a romantic and a working relationship here right oh she she knows all these things about him it's it just felt like wait 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 i can't catch up none of it felt quite strong enough the Picard one had the shorthand of it was his brother. So of course yeah. his he knows him from his childhood. So it's like you know there's baggage there. So it's like it's a you shorthand. You know there's that baggage take. there. Yeah. And it's and it's the first time that we you know we not only is it his brother, the way they talk about one another mm-hmm. with other characters, where the other characters are the ones saying like the two of you are always like this. The yep. two of you always go at each other like this. So we're given moments to say like oh this is we we are ready to move forward with that understanding with this one it's we're still trying to figure out who this woman is and <laughs> yeah. suddenly they're making out on top of a rock and there's possibly a cougar in the background it was all very evil lock on that. <laughs> i love the uh the tiger it's like what does it have to do with anything <laughs> yeah and, okay. and it was it it was um it was a strange misdirect it didn't amount to anything and it ended up being used to introduce us to a dream sequence that was very obviously a dream sequence from the very beginning and felt like a completely unnecessary faint. Yes. I don't know about you, but I felt like those several minutes of Archer waking up in the night and finding what he thought were a t- reptilian Zindi and being thrown off the cliff and yeah, waking no. up in a sweat. I thought, I thought you could have just cut to him muttering in his sleep and waking up in a sweat with the his friend beside him saying you were having a nightmare like that would have been enough yep. it didn't have to be us seeing this whole artificial scene effectively it just felt like time not well used yeah i agree so here we are at the end of our discussion of this episode and it feels very much like both of us are looking at this and giving it maybe a low b yeah like this is definitely on the better path than the Nazi alien storyline, but I'm still finding myself thinking like, what could have been this episode felt like it could have been stronger. What do you think about it? I I agree completely. It's like, this could have been stronger, but it's, it's, it's a B minus C plus for me. Yeah. 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 So next time we're going to be talking about borderlands. We'll be moving on to what they're, this will be the first time we're going to be seeing what they see season four as fully being. This is going to be the beginning. We know it's the beginning of the end, but for this series, which had now just moved to Friday evenings, trying to find a new footing, trying to find a new voice, Borderlands will be our first opportunity to see what they thought the show would be about. Before we get off to that, Matt, is there anything you'd like to remind our listeners about that you have coming up on your other show? Well, just just to keep tabs on Undecided with Matt Farrell, there's a lot of interesting videos coming up in the new year. But my main message is, have a great new year. <laughs> Happy holidays. Enjoy yeah. yourself. Sean and I are going to be taking a week off. So there's going to be a little hiatus in the show. But just have a great holiday season. Yeah, I double that. That Please enjoy yourselves. Enjoy time with friends and family and stay safe. And as for me, if you're interested in finding out more about my books and my writing, you can check out seanfarrell.com. You can also just go directly to any bookstore or bookseller. Look for my books directly there. That would be Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Target, anywhere you find your books, you should be able to find mine. And if you'd like to support the show, 
please consider reviewing us. You can review us on Apple, Google, Spotify, wherever it was you found this podcast. Go back there and leave a note. And if you'd like to more directly support us, you can go to trekintime.show, click on the Become a Supporter button, and throw a few coins at us. Supporting us directly like that will not only help us produce this show, but it will immediately make you an ensign, and you'll be part of the cohort that gets our spinoff show, Out of Time. Out of Time is a program where Matt and I talk about whatever we like, so we aren't beholden (laughs) to this chronological discussion. We can talk about any of the other Star Trek shows. Sometimes we talk about Star Trek. We've talked about horror films, sci-fi films. We've talked about some fantasy stuff. So if you support us directly, you get access to all of that. We hope you'll consider doing that. I'm going to want to talk about Lower Decks in an upcoming one. (laughs) I'm going to want to talk about Lower Decks. I'm also going to want to talk about the new Willow show on Disney+. Plus. So those are two things that I think we're both looking forward to. All of that really just helps support the show. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening or watching. Once again, happy holidays. Hope everybody stays safe, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye.